It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Seven things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Kira Revan, and this is the Sunday 7. On today's episode, we investigate a crazy week for UFO stories. Will Guyot takes a bite out of the new Apple event. We hear about flesh-eating bacteria and the award-winning inventors of a mucus removal machine. But first, on this day in 1844, the first US patent was issued for printing press with different colours of ink. The inventor was Thomas F. Adams of Philadelphia, and he called it polychrome printing. The system operated using different ink fountains which fed coloured rollers operating in parallel. Presumably, the first paper jam occurred shortly after. Afterwards. UFOs had a big week this week with a bizarre presentation from Mexico going extremely viral and then a major press conference from NASA on the subject of what it's now calling UAPs. That's unidentified anomalous phenomena and there's a whole new approach from the space agency after decades of intense secrecy which just helped to fuel conspiracy theories and the lunatic fringe. Let's start with that extremely odd presentation from Mexico which featured tiny mummified corpses that were apparently found in Peru back in 2017. They were presented to the Mexican Congress as part of an investigation into extraterrestrial life. But Jamie Mawson, a journalist and UFO logist who made the presentation, has an extremely shaky history of discoveries. In Peru, in una mina de diatomea, Today, we are going to present two beings that were recovered in Peru in a diatom mine. They are dried bodies that were found in 2017 that have been deeply investigated both by investigative journalists and by scientists who, here today, are going to present some of their extraordinary conclusions. I think there is a clear demonstration that we are dealing with non-human specimens that are not related to any other species of our world. He claimed that the ET-like corpses had been carbon dated and x-rayed and that one third of their DNA was unknown. However, his claims have been rubbished by experts and similar claims he made previously were comprehensively debunked by expert Alexander Sokolov from the Scientists Against Myths YouTube channel back in 2021. They found that it was actually assembled from, well, a common earth animal. Comparison shows that the reptiloid's cranial cavity fits perfectly the cranial cavity of a llama. The location of the olfactory bulbs, the inner ear, the brain hemispheres and the cerebellum precisely matches those in a llama skull. The whole facial part of the skull was broken off, leaving only the brain case. The skull was then rotated so its back part faces forward. The reptiloid's face is actually the back of the poor llama's head. Thursday saw much more interesting news about actual alien life as NASA continued with its bid to be more transparent about life out there. They're starting a new global crowdsourcing program with the aim of cataloguing and analysing strange sightings and they've appointed a head of unidentified anomalous phenomena to coordinate the results. The headline news from the press conference was that they've neither been able to prove or disprove alien life as yet, but Administrator Bill Nelson says the search is ongoing. We are looking for signs of life, past and present. And it's in our DNA to explore and to ask why things are the way they are. 
In June of last year, NASA commissioned an independent study team to examine unidentified anomalous phenomena. We did so with a few goals in mind. First, to examine how NASA can use our expertise and instruments to study UAP from a scientific perspective. Second, shift the conversation about UAP from sensationalism to science. This week saw Apple hosting their annual Apple event and there's only one man we can get to give us all the details and that's our resident Smart 7 tech guru, Will Guyot. Hi. So Will, what was announced this week? We had two new iPhones, um, a few other changes in the world of the um, Apple Watch. But the big thing everybody's got quite excited about is Apple is finally saying goodbye to the lightning cable. That's their own brand of charging and connection cable that they've been using for over a decade. Why is the end of the lightning cable a big deal? Well, it's a fairly big deal because there's only two kinds of cables that really remain in the world of modern smartphones. You've got USB-C and you've got lightning. And Apple have been steadfastly refusing for the last five or so years to shift over. And then they proudly declared that the iPhone was now going to start using USB-C, the world leader in connectivity, completely ignoring the fact that effectively an EU regulation has forced the company to start using it. Why were Apple so slow to move to USB-C? They have basically said they were happier with their own proprietary solution and they created hundreds of different peripherals, etc., which used the Lightning connection and they weren't prepared to change it. But the reality was such that the USB-C was so much better than the Lightning connection and it has been for a number of years. That's why Apple were already using it on laptops and other devices. And the more of their devices they started putting it on, it became harder and harder for them to push back against the EU. So good riddance to the lightning cable as far as I'm concerned. Did we miss any other dramatic announcements? The one thing I thought was really cool, there's a new kind of gesture, a click gesture, where you can put your tooth, uh, your finger and your thumb together if you're wearing an Apple Watch 9, and they say this is because of a collection of new sensors. So effectively, you can now start controlling your Apple Watch without actually having to press the screen or talking at it. It's like a gesture control that's available on the new devices. And they also confirmed the other thing that was completely lost in this whole thing, uh, their, uh, their Vision headset will be launching early next year. They did confirm that in the in the press conference in a one-line part of the press conference. So to come on the Sunday 7, exciting news on hydrogen boilers and we bring the sexy up to mucus removal. Apart from worrying about your energy bills, you may not have given too much thought to the future of your hot water and home heating. But there are big changes coming down the track as the old-fashioned gas boiler, which tends to be both thermally inefficient and consumes carbon-based natural resources, is definitely on the way out. The heat pump is a rapidly growing alternative, but the units which recycle energy and move it around your home can be quite expensive. This week saw a row over another option, which is the idea of a hydrogen gas boiler. Sky News was busy investigating claims from companies who have been talking up the potential of hydrogen boilers as a clean alternative, but the reality is 100% hydrogen boilers replacing regular gas is some time away. James Elston of Boiler Central says his company website has removed the misleading claims, but he still stands by the potential for the new boilers. What we've looked at is just tidying up some of the, the generalisation that we're saying 
a new boiler is more efficient than an old, it can save you money and it can save you on your on your carbon footprint. Those are all true true statements. Linking it directly to hydrogen is only where we change the content. So how far away are we from hydrogen boilers? Chris Stark, who's chief executive of the Climate Change Committee, says the tech is far from a sure thing. No one should be installing a gas boiler now thinking that hydrogen is a sure thing and that this is a way of future-proofing from that. And Peter Chalkley, Director of Energy, Climate and Intelligence, says he's not convinced that hydrogen will be widely used and it's most likely that heat pumps will become the dominant device in our homes. I mean, if you look at what the experts are saying, generally they're saying it could be used, but probably only in uh, sort of niche areas, potentially in areas around uh, industrial clusters where hydrogen is going to be used. You might see homes there connected to um, a hydrogen grid. But generally, the experts say that it's going to be heat pumps that will be the future of how we heat um, our homes. The recent story of the live worm in an Australian woman's brain introduced the world to the concept of the sexy yuck. It's a moment that both horrifies and fascinates, and our next guest might just fit into that bracket. They are four students who've just won the James Dyson UK National Prize for their innovative invention. It's called Plural and it's a smart airway clearance device designed to help remove, well, mucus. We caught up with Fergus Laidlaw, Daniel Hale and Will Elliott to find out more. So how big an issue is mucus? It's it's really a huge problem, uh, mucus is, and especially a problem for people with chronic respiratory conditions. So obviously everyone's uh, experienced mucus in some capacity, but for some people really this is a problem that they have to live with every single day and it causes breathlessness and really exhaustion actually, as well as on some occasions leading, leading to infection and hospitalisation. And that's for 3.9 million people across the UK alone. So it's a big problem. Tell me more about your device. What is it and how does it work? Yeah, so Plural is a smart airway clearance device which allows people to perform chest physiotherapy at home and in an informed way. So chest physiotherapy is a a manual technique for helping to clear mucus, which would normally be performed by a physiotherapist. So it involves manipulating the chest externally in, in different ways and helping the patient to cough up the mucus. And what Plural does is try to replicate all those features, but allows the patient to do it autonomously, so on their own. How did this award-winning team come together? Yeah, so we all met on the Innovation Design Engineering course, uh, which is a split course between RCA and Imperial. And um, yeah, I guess we just were really motivated by trying to help people. And I think very quickly we realized that we had similar goals, similar interests. Um, although we have like totally different backgrounds, some of us are engineers, some of us are designers, I myself, I, I don't have either of those backgrounds. I studied like languages at uni, but um, I think um, we were just motivated in, in terms of helping people. And uh, I guess, yeah, through Dan, um, we came across the fact that um, one of his relatives suffered from a chronic respiratory condition. And uh, one of the symptoms of, of illnesses like that is mucus. And so we very quickly started trying to hone in and, and focusing on that as, as, a, as a challenge that we could try and solve using design and engineering. What does winning this award mean for your project? It's it's pretty monumental. It's incredible to have won the James Dyson Award. And for us, I think it's 
it's huge because we have now some prize money which we can put towards developing the prototype further to a stage where we can give it to people so that they can actually test it on themselves um, rather than testing it in sort of lab conditions as we've been doing um, but also the outreach that we're that this gives us where we can talk to even more people with various conditions that involve chronic mucus like cystic fibrosis asthma copd um and just getting all of that feedback is just so helpful for our design process so that's that's really it's unlocked a, a lot of possibility i think for us if you're really interested in plural you can follow us on instagram at plural.io Still to come on the Sunday 7, rising anxiety, watch out for flesh-eating bacteria and worries about the Earth's life support system. Right after this. Welcome back. We live in strange times, from pandemic to war to an increasingly dramatic climate crisis. It's no surprise if you find yourself feeling anxious. And as new research this week suggests that the UK's population is experiencing record levels of anxiety, the question arises, how do you differentiate between general anxiety and actually suffering from an anxiety disorder? Professor of Neuroscience and Mental Health Oliver Robinson says it can be hard to definitely diagnose anxiety as a disorder. We've always had anxiety, as I say, it's a way of avoiding harm. So everyone has been anxious for as long as there have been humans. Um, Whether there is more of the kind of pathological type of anxiety uh, now, it's possible, but it's also possible that there's more recognition. I mean, there's less stigma, people are more willing to talk about it. Um, There are more people being treated. That's a good thing um, because more people are are getting the help that they need. I'm not necessarily convinced, although I don't know, that there is more um, of that pathological anxiety now. There are certainly things that cause anxiety now that didn't exist a hundred years ago, you know, think uh, social media, internet and so forth. But that's not to say that people who become anxiety as become anxious as a result of some of those things wouldn't have become anxious a hundred years ago, but through some other course. Um, so I don't think it's really clear that there's more anxiety, but there's certainly more people being treated for it and there's certainly more recognition of it. As extreme events from earthquakes in Morocco, wildfires in Greece and now catastrophic flooding in Libya seem to occur more often, there's a concern that humanity may really be in trouble this time. And now research which carried out a scientific health check on the status of planet Earth has found some alarming results. The study was published in the Science Advances Journal and says that humanity has broken six of nine so-called planetary boundaries because of pollution and man-made disruption of fundamental planetary systems. Co-author of the study, Johan Rockström, is a director of the Potsdam Institute of Climate Impact Research, and he says the findings are genuinely alarming. This is a, a health check. It is really uh, assessing how are we doing uh, with regards to the sustainability of the planet, the livability on Earth. Six of the nine boundaries are outside of a safe space. The four boundaries that we uh, assessed in 2015 are deeper into the red, so we're continuing to move in the wrong direction. And this is a big concern. In, in, in policy terms, it's not enough to just phase out fossil fuels to deliver on the Paris Agreement. You also need to uh, deliver on biodiversity, fresh water and land, because they're holders of so much of the, of the ability to buffer um, the greenhouse gas emissions and, and, and heat impacts. It's it's a double failure because, you know, not only are we not acting on the scientific evidence we have, you know, on many of these boundaries we have 
global frameworks. We have a Paris Agreement. We have a biodiversity agreement. We've had summits on fresh water. We, we recognize the risks we take with chemical overloading and air pollutants. So it's not as if we're sitting in the dark and then suddenly pops up this planet boundary analysis. So it is, it is a real, real concern. There's been a lot of material to make you anxious in today's episode, but we're not done yet. Save some room in your fears list for flesh-eating bacteria. The American Center for Disease Control, or CDC, has issued a warning for a potentially fatal infection called Vibrio vulnificus. It can be spread through bacteria in warm coastal waters or through contact with contaminated shellfish, such as oysters. And if it comes into contact with an open wound, well things can get pretty bad pretty quickly. Andrea Garcia is Vice President of Science, Medicine and Public Health at the American Medical Association and she says that recent warmer-than-usual temperatures in the U.S. are partly to blame for the spread of this bacterial threat. Well, most cases happen between May and October and it's obviously become worse with climate change. Vibrio naturally live in coastal waters, including salt water, brackish water, which is a mixture of salt and fresh water. The bacteria thrive in unusually warm water and um, an increase with extreme weather events such as heat waves, flooding, and severe storms. During July and August, we've experienced above average coastal sea surface temperatures and widespread heat waves. Um, during that period, several East Coast states, including Connecticut, New York, North Carolina, have reported severe and fetal vulnificus infections, which is why we're seeing this alert come now. This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend.